if you got that in perpetuity, if you had a perpetual monthly amount that you charged and then you got those two visits every year or something like that, that's very attractive to a buyer because perpetual revenue is huge. That's why tech companies sell at such high multiples because everything's perpetuity. If you are an irrigation professional, old or new, who designs, installs, or maintains high-end residential, commercial, or municipal properties, and you want to use technology to improve your business, to get a leg up on your competition, even if you're an old-school irrigator from the days of hydraulic systems, this show is for you. Welcome back to another episode of the Sprinkler Nerd Show. I'm your host, Andy Humphrey. Today, I'm joined by... Brad Krauss. Brad is the president and owner of Service Professor. Service Professor is a 40-year-old service company that grew from a small electrical company based in Greenville, Michigan, to one of the largest home service repair companies in all of Western Michigan. And in 2021, Brad decided to exit the business by selling the business to a private equity firm and the reason I wanted to have Brad on the show today is because I know that some of you listening may be a sole proprietor. You may have your own company and you may be the only employee. Some of you may have 10, 20, 30 or more employees. And inevitably, at some point, you may decide to transition your business either to a family member, sell it to a friend, another business or a private equity firm. And so I wanted to bring Brad on the show today to talk about what it was like to grow his company to the size that it was when he exited the company and what it was like to transition during that exit process. So Brad, welcome to the Sprinkler Nerd Show. Oh, thank you, Andy. I'm, I'm glad to be here and good to see you in a little bit different forum than I suppose you and I are, are, are used to seeing each other at, right? Yeah, this is a little bit more <laughs> formal. So just a little bit of a backstory, Brad's daughter, and my daughter play on the same travel volleyball team out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. And so we're sitting on the sidelines, you know, hey, what do you do? What do you do? Where do you live? All those kinds of, you know, friendly hellos. And as soon as I found out that Brad owned a service company, I said, Brad, man, we got, I got to get you on the show. You know, I think that the, the home services industry is ripe for change. And I think that the, you know, heating, cooling, plumbing, it's a little bit head of the irrigation and landscape business. So perhaps my listeners could learn from you who have already been there and done that. Yeah, very cool. No, our, our conversations has always been uh, been great and uh, intriguing, insightful, and hopefully we can expand upon that here today. So I appreciate you having me. Yeah, my pleasure. And I mentioned Greenville, Michigan. So for those of you listening, that is the northeast corner of Grand Rapids, Michigan. So if you think Grand Rapids, Michigan, that's approximately where Greenville is. And Brad, I think what I would like to do is have you start with kind of what it was like to grow from being a quote unquote small electrical company to one of the largest home repair companies. Yeah, well, I mean, definitely a bit of a blur now. I mean, it happened happened rather quickly. So just to give a little background of the company, uh, my father um, uh, started a company called G and D Electric. So we cut our teeth at electrical, which I'll I'll, I'll kind of get to when it when you kind of look at a expansive service company that that does all of the trades. Um, electrical, I guess, is sort of the redheaded stepchild, right? I think it'd be probably equivalent, Andy, to having you know, a plumbing company or HVAC company have irrigation, right? Like it, it'd probably be just as common to have irrigation 
is a wood electrical, which I know it sounds funny, but it, it, and oddly enough, it operates very similarly KPI wise, just operations wise to plumbing, but much different than HVAC. So got some stats around that, why I think that is. But so my father started that company back in 1978. His name is Dave, you know, quite literally is Glenn and Dave Electric, G and the Electric. And, um, you know, with who I call Uncle Glenn, who, who really literally wasn't family, but we called him Uncle Glenn. And uh, they started that company in Greenville. I was the only one of three brothers that went into the family business and uh, became an electrical apprentice right after high school, did, did night schooling for six, seven years to get my business degree. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say I loved being an electrician. That was, I mean, if I could generalize, I didn't love it. But I knew I liked one sector of what my dad's company did. They were they did all sorts of electrical work, you know, from industrial to commercial to construction, all sorts. And I loved, as an electrician, I loved the residential side. I loved the, I got my apprenticeship started in, in new home construction. We only did custom homes, so it was a lot of fun. And I remember my old my old manager who ended up being my business partner for a hot minute, Jeff Smeckle. He'd, he'd always tell me, Brad, you know, you go out to a you go out to a new job to meet with a homeowner on, on day one with this custom build, and it might be a fifteen thousand dollar electrical job, let's say. And after day one or day two, you come back and you tell me it went up to twenty five, right? Because <laughs> through those walkthroughs, you'd talk about what they really wanted, and I, I knew that was kind of my fastball and what I enjoyed doing. So, what that ended up evolving to kind of shorten a, a long story was. I love the service side. I love dealing with people. I was I was on construction sites for six months at a time. It was appalling. I did not enjoy it. So that was kind of how the electric professor back then was born. So back in 2004, I created a, a service side to the business called the electric professor. And then in 2012, I bought my first plumbing company. To And then, of course, electric professor is no longer cool, right? So we, we renamed it service professor and um, broke off from... Uh, I guess the roots of G and D Electric back then, or my old my old business partner, which is still alive and kicking and doing great. Still the same old G and D Electric, and I think my dad still reports there every day just for something to do, and that's still up in Greenville. But so 2012 broke off and, and created uh, the service professor. 2014, uh, 2013, I moved the business down here to Grand Rapids. That's where a good bulk of our work was, and that's really where our growth started. You know, I once I saw. 50% of our work being in Kent County over Montcalm County, which is where Greenville is located. I decided to move the business to Grand Rapids. And, you know, we've, we've realized nearly um, at the beginning, 20, 30% growth. And then right around 15, 16, we started kicking into uh, a 50% average growth uh, each year. So, um, you know, this year we're pacing to do about 40 million in revenue. And that's without our Muskegon and Lansing locations that we're kicking off right now. So we, but potentially could push mid forties or so. And when I moved to Grand Rapids in 2013, we're at less than 1 million in revenue. Wow. So it did grow rather, grew rather quickly. Wow. And there's so much we could talk about that. Um, I want to be careful about what I choose to ask you, but I think what, what I'd like to ask you is in 2012, uh, remind me, that's when you first purchased the other companies and moved from electric to service. Yeah. This one we, uh, I bought my first plumbing company through a guy I met through a, a networking company, uh, a networking organization. And that was called the Plumbing Connection. And I uh, bought Paul's company. Uh, and he was actually on the team up until his retirement last year. So you grew, and I'm going to say you grew like crazy because to go from 1 million to 40 million, that's a big gap with lots of um, learning along the way, probably trials, tribulations, heartaches, all of it. How did you know that you wanted to grow the business like that 
versus just operate a nice, solid, profitable business? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I, I don't think it's, it's, it's not for everybody. I've always been an athlete. I think that's probably why my kids are competitive, as you've, you've definitely noticed firsthand. I've always wanted to win, you know, and it, it, I never let it consume me. You know, I mean, family first, all those things. I was never, you know, working 80 hour week guy unless I had to. You know, my family's always come first. So I think just just the fear of losing. I'm, I'm a super competitive guy. If you know the personality traits and codes and, you know, in the color code, I'm a red, you know, which most entrepreneurs are. I just wanted to win. People, I've, I've been asked by my own father, you know, when's, it, when's enough enough? When's it big enough? And I said, I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you when I start thinking about that. I just, it doesn't even resonate. That's not my vocabulary. Just, just kind of keep going. And as long as you're having fun, you know, there's no reason not to. Were there things along the way that you feel were pivotal to being able to grow like that? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, number one, you know, you mentioned about the, um, the partnering with private equity, which you know, I'm still very much involved. It's, and I'm sure we'll get into what those logistics look like, but it just made really good sense at that time and still would today. I'm sure of it. I kind of own a, a smaller piece of a much larger pie now. It's kind of how to look at it. You know, I'm still investor in the entire platform. It just made good sense. The math worked out. You know, we have companies in Cleveland, as I've talked to in the past, you know, Cleveland and Chicago and Lansing and Detroit and soon to be in the UP here, um, getting ready to close on a, a, a great company in, uh, in Minnesota um, in the, the Twin Cities area. So yeah, it's, it's just a different, it's a different world than it was for sure two years ago. Certainly no lack of fun and we're, we're still enjoying ourselves. So, And I get um, a lot of, let's see, questions and conversations around exiting businesses. And it feels like a lot of irrigation landscape contractors are in a couple different buckets. They're in the bucket of, I'm getting older. I don't want to dig in the ditch anymore. And I don't know what to do with my business. I don't even know if it's worth anything. I might just close it down. And then there's that are up, then there's others that say, yeah, you know, my son's coming up or my nephew's coming up. I want to transition my business over to the next generation. And then there's others that say, you know what, I think I'm going to sell this business and I'm going to try to make a profit doing it. But we definitely have in the irrigation landscape industry a transition at hand because when a lot of these companies were started 30 years ago, not a lot of new businesses were started in that time until now. And so we're seeing this sort of transition from what we might call the old guard, either to the new generation or completely exit out. So I'd like to kind of understand how you came to your decision and your succession plan to selling to a private equity firm versus putting it on the open market, transitioning to your family, any, you know, any children that you might have coming up that would be interested. How did you decide on that? Yeah. You know, and, and I'll tell you my, my plan the entire time, you know, I think kind of learning from my own father, you know, being an electrician, even though it's not the same company, but that was always my thought. You know, I have four children, as you know, and, you know, which one of them might want to get into the family business and, and own service professor type thing. But once you look at the numbers, you know, you kind of go, well, what's the responsible thing to do here? Because there's a lot of succession plans that kind of involve and include a child saying, well, it's what my dad or mom always did. Why can't I do it? I guess I'll just go into it, even though it might not have been their first choice. Or it's, Hey, son or daughter, you need to do this for me so I can retire. And they're kind of forced into it, right? So I just, I think talking to my wife about it, yeah, that was always my plan and my dream. But I thought, well, with this opportunity in front of me, it actually probably makes the most sense to give our kids options. And 
I can help them financially create any business that they would like, right? And do what exactly what they're passionate about, similar to what my passion was. Because I, I don't know if HVAC and plumbing and electrical is going to carry the same weight with them as it did me. So I just felt like it was the responsible thing to do. And it just opened up a lot of, a lot more avenues, a lot more doors for, I think my kids and being able to help them along the way in whatever they want to pursue. That's, that's interesting. What were you perhaps worried about prior to making that decision to sell the private equity firm? What were you worried about beforehand? Well, I mean, a lot, you know, I mean, change, nobody <laughs> likes change, right? We're humans. So, I mean, not even a wet baby likes change if we think about it. I think the change in it was a little bit nerving for me. Just your world getting flipped upside down, perhaps, you know, how's it going to go? You're, you're entrusting, you know, we're a platform company too, Andy. So for the listeners that don't know what that is, when you, when you join private equity, you're either the first one that gets purchased. If you want to look at it like that, that's the platform yeah. company. Typically it's kind of the I guess the poster child, you know, the ones that they want to base the remaining companies off from. So a lot of times these PEs will go after, you know, the, the really good company first, if you will. And we're fortunate to be put in that bucket and, you know, blessed to, you know, to be flattered with that title, if you will. But, or you're the 19th company, you know, and you're, you're kind of coming into an established thing already. So there are some nerves there of picking the right partner because you didn't have anybody to ask if there were a bunch of good people, you know, you, you had none of that. So that was a little nerving. Uh, so we definitely did our diligence on that, you know, with our entire leadership team. And they were as much in the, the decision as I was and, uh, and my brother was, which I left that part of the story out back in 2014. I brought my, my younger brother who's a CPA, you know, he's, uh, he was in the CPA world work first. And because ironically in our businesses, you look around the country, they're either ran by people that come from the trade like myself or accountants. Like it seems to be one of the two. So I said, well, why not have best of both worlds and I'll bring Tony into the business. So he came in in 2014 and helped create what it is today. Okay. So you were the, you were the first acquisition by the firm? I, I, in theory on paper, we were number two, but yeah. yes, we were, the, we were the first one. Yep. Okay. And would you be willing to share the name of that company or is that confidential? Of the private equity? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's, um, so how it works is, you know, your hold co, they, they call the hold co, your holding company is really what the platform is called. And that's actually called uh, AGH Ultimate, which really is a, an attorney name. I know that's exactly what it sounded like, but we're in the, in the process of a rebranding. We, that should be finalized in the next 30 days. So we actually have a real name. I think it's going to be called something like Atrium Services is what I believe it's going to be. But so it'll be called Atrium Services, of the collection of all these companies, but we were purchased by uh, Calera Capital. Um, okay. there's tons of private equities out there, a lot of which aren't interested in our space. You know, they're not interested in irrigation they're not interested in landscaping mm -hmm. and others are. So there's only so many of them that are interested in your, in your sector, however. And then thinking about what you just said about what you may have been worried about and then how it actually went down. Was there a difference between what you thought was going to happen and what actually happened? For sure. Now, I'll be the first to say, like, this is not to be taken lightly and things do change. I'll put it this way. I'm, what I say doesn't go anymore, right? Like, I don't, I'm not the end all be all. They I am on the board of the private equity. So I do have a lot of say and they certainly are respectful of my thoughts and ideas and different things of that nature. But, you know, it's not the wild, wild west anymore. I can't just do what I want. So that, that took some getting used to. You know, they're, they're a bunch of good people. You know, do we always agree with every, on everything? Absolutely not. So that took some getting used to, but certainly more fears than, than actuality, I think is the mm -hmm. best way to look at it. 
but yeah. it's been a good it's been a great decision and it will continue to be going forward it's just not to be taken lightly you got to definitely know what you want and did you how did you decide that 2021 was going to be the year and it wasn't going to be two years prior to that or in three years from now what was it in your you know let's say your gut or your instincts that told you this is the time right now yeah, so we, I was watching a lot of things. You know, number one, the, the private equity uh, area has just a ton of pent-up money, right? I mean, private equity truly is exactly what it sounds like. It's private money. There's a lot of wealthy people in this country that invest in private wealth, uh, equity. As a matter of fact, I, I invested in private equity three, four years ago before I even knew what it was. You know, it was just something my financial advisor got me into. It's very high return stuff. And But what happened through COVID, Andy, is you can imagine, like, Think, think restaurants. You know, restaurants are a great example. Private equity loved restaurants. There's a lot of restaurants that we all eat at every day, chain restaurants that are owned by private equity. You just don't know it, right? Yep. And when COVID happened and destroyed a lot of sectors, including that industry, right, including restaurants, there's still that money that's there. There's still wealthy people in the country that want to invest in private equity, but there's less options. So supply and demand got out of whack for us, but that was good because the home services business did really, really well through COVID, even though we're truly scared, like everybody else on the front end, ended up being a blessing for us. So we grew through that. We, we definitely succeeded through that. So our multiples in our sector went through the roof, like nearly doubled. So wow. that definitely per perked my ears up, right? When the soliciting got heavier for businesses like ours, and I knew the kind of multiples and, and money that was getting thrown around, that made good sense. But there was some other very... Cause that may not last, right? When things stabilize, which they are right now. And those multiples inevitably will drop down, making your business worth less money. But I think another thing too that people don't think about is tax law. You know, um, I think with our, our current administration, one of their first orders of business was to raise capital gain rates. And that was a big scare. And I knew I wanted to get this done in 2021 because all indicators said that anything that was going to take effect wouldn't take effect until 2022. So that was a big thing for me to avoid that because right now current capital gains tax, which is what you pay when you sell shares like stocks like this and of your business. So that's at 20%. The current administration wanted to go up to normal income tax, right? And into the thirties. And I think they were trying to settle and compromise down to like mid twenties or high, late high twenties, but the Senate ended up turning down that. So it was a worry, but ended up not needing to be a worry, but we didn't know what was going to happen. So mm -hmm. that was another thing. But don't think that that shouldn't be of concern for folks going forward either. Yeah. So two similar related questions, and these questions are, are uh, related to each other. Number one, had you been running your business like you were wanting to sell it? In other words, were you running a business with good books ready to transition? And then the second part is, what could a service business do in their operating and their books to to be ready to sell. Yeah, so you know, the, I, I'm going to call it a, one of the downsides, if you will, to having a brother that's a CPA is, and and then and then add them into the business is you run very clean books. Okay, so yeah, I know a lot of things take place in the in the service industry. You know, a lot of industries that, but if you if you ever have that in mind, you know, all income needs to be reported. You know, all the, th all the little tricks of the trade need to stop because all that adds value. And when you're getting paid a multiple on that net income or on that net profit, right? If you're getting a 4X, 5X, 6X, you know, in our case, um, 
every dollar counts. You got, I look at it like that, like every dollar is. Yeah. So, you know, I want to be as profitable as possible, but we, we basically ran the same. Um, we had been doing that for a, a good decade or so, cause we always partnered and, and surrounded ourselves with the best operating minds through a best practice organization called Nexstar. So we've always been part of that. So we could, you know, become the best version of ourselves as quickly as possible. I think that's key in the home services business and certainly probably irrigation and, you know, that sort of stuff, landscaping, they, you know, we look at our competitors as the enemy, you know, it's like, hold my secrets tight to my chest. Don't talk to them. I've done the opposite in my career. I've, I've wanted to befriend our competitors, stay close to them, learn from them because good competition is great. It, it elevates the market. And the reason that these businesses typically are suppressed is because of our own attitudes mm-hmm. as operators. Mm-hmm. It really is, Andy, and that's that's a key problem. So, NextStar is based out of the Twin Cities in Minnesota, and we've been part of NextStar since two thousand, like eleven. So, I've always surrounded ourselves with people that do it better than us, so we can learn. Wow, from them. wow, and that's going to lead into one of the last questions I have for you. But you just answered a question I was going to ask you, and that is for your industry, what were the multiples like, and how are those multiples sort of decided upon? Well, you know, it's it, there's a, there's a, a wide array of you know the formula is quite complicated. I guess is the best way to size matters, right? So, companies within our platform have certainly been probably from three x up to sixteen x is probably the best way to say it. And that's a huge that's a huge span. Um, so it really depends. Size does matter. The smaller you are, the less your multiple is. Um, they look at things like what's your growth pattern been like. Undoubtedly, our you know. 40, 50% growth pattern that we could show on paper, like it happened over the last, you know, three quarters of a decade made us valuable, right? Because they expected that to continue. And if you don't show that, that could drop it. There's a lot of variables, but I would say the number one thing is profitability percentage and then actual profit. Mm -hmm. You know, what does your EBITDA show? And that's going to be the first indicator of the multiple. And, and we could have a whole nother episode just, we could talk for two hours just on how to sell your business, tips for selling your business, tips for being profitable, right? All of that. So I appreciate you you sharing that and yeah. the range. I think my last question really has to do more with owning and running service professor, then being acquired, but then still kind of running service professor in the same role. Are there... Uh, what do you see are added advantages to now being a part of this, you know, platform and and perhaps having other businesses that you can learn from, lean on? How has your business changed since you became part of this PE platform? Yeah, so you know, kind of back to the the, the best practices organization that we've always belonged to. That's where that's where the magic happens is being able to have people to lean on and gauge ideas. Maybe others that have done it better than you you know, before you met. And I think that's the value for a lot of companies within our platform is, you know, they, they get to you know, gauge off us. We get to gauge off them and, and have somebody to have a bat line to call and go, Hey, this is happening. And, and we're very cohesive. Like the entire team, everything is broadcasted broadly across the board. And I relate that back to being in that best practices. We've been doing this for over a decade since we've been part of Nextstar, far before PE. So it's really not a lot of difference for us, but I can definitely imagine for a lot of companies that have joined our platform, that help has been has been welcomed, right? Just just to learn that maybe there is a better way. And trust me, even though we quote unquote might be the you know the, the best practices company within this organization right now, 
we're getting ideas from all of our teammates all over the country, all the Midwest. And, oh, you do it that way. You know, there's something we could take from you. And it's the same mentality we've always carried when we were part of Nextstar for so long. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And let's see, I guess I have one more question. What advice would you have for, you know, somebody running a family-based service business as it relates to how to exit, when to exit, and should they exit? Well, I think first and foremost, you got to get very real with what you want. What what do you want personally? That's that's the most important because regardless of how much money, how little money, you know, how much you need the help, how much you don't need the help, if it's not what you want and your personality is not meant for perhaps a team, it's just not going to be for you. It's going to drive you crazy. And or you need to find a a buyer or a private equity that would allow you to sell and then walk away. I know many, many of operators like this, and I've talked to them about even our platform and said, I would never, I would never ever ask you, right? Because it's just not meant for you. And you would have to be prepared if you ever did to walk away, you know, Mm -hmm. and sometimes that's right for some people. And sometimes it's not, I mean, I'm 42 years old, almost 43. So I I was going to say somebody (laughs) who might be 74 years old might be literally ready to go sit on the beach, in other mm-hmm. words, and someone else who's 41 might be ready for the next stage of their career. That's right. And that particular, you know, buyer might go, well, somebody walking away is not going to work for us because we need, you are, you are the business. You need to stay there and operate it. Or, you know, we don't have a GM to take your place. You know, it, it, there could be a whole, whole slew of scenarios here, but that's, that's my best, my best advice is make sure it's something that you want because Home service businesses are very attractive right now. We're fairly resilient through the the COVID pandemic and fairly recession proof. You know, not you know, it depends on how many eggs we have in the new construction basket. But you know, and I'd say the same thing for landscape and, and irrigation. I don't know that industry overly well and the relationship to private equity and buyers and stuff. But I'm sure there's listeners right now that get letters in the mail and emails yeah. asking if. The main difference is probably if your heat doesn't work and you're in northern Michigan in the winter, you're kind of screwed. If you don't have a landscape, eh, you you know, it's a luxury more than a necessity. So, Well, fair. <laughs> Some people, yeah, but I'll tell you, you know, Andy, you and I have talked about this, but I don't know what I'd do without my irrigation company and my landscaper. Like they're on speed dial, you know, and I love that yeah. stuff and it brings value to my home. And I think there's more people that think that way than probably even the owners of these companies like to give credit for. It, it is it is a bit of a luxury item. I got your back on that. But a bit of a necessity too, you know? I mean, I think one thing I prepared, yes, earlier about how to prepare for sale and something you and I have talked about is, you know, maybe, you know, why why doesn't that, and maybe some of them do, but I haven't, I've never seen one. My, my companies that I hire certainly do not have these things, but why not have a, a loyalty program with your customers, right? Like, I just think like irrigation. I won't even replace a, a head. I can adjust the, my irrigation. Like you know, I'm I'm pretty cra- I, you know I'm hands on. I can do that stuff. But I just have them come turn my system on and shut it down. And if you got that in perpetuity, if you had a perpetual monthly amount that you charged, and then you got those two visits every year or something like that, that's very attractive to a buyer. Because perpetual revenue is huge. That's why tech companies sell at such high multiples because everything's perpetuity. Take notes, guys. Write that one down. That was a writer downer. Yeah, for sure. Find a service subscription plan for your customers. And we're seeing it a little bit. I know a few guys that have sort of that 
you know, bronze, silver, gold package with one visit a week, one visit every two weeks, you know, a turn on, a turn off, that kind of thing. So, you know, take notes on that. Brad says that will increase the value of your business if you want to sell it. Yeah, 100%. It certainly will. And I would offer this little tidbit for the listeners too. If you want to learn a little bit more about private equity, because frankly, you know, and by the way, I'm not smarter than the average bear. It, it took, you know, I learned it very quickly, like within 12 months when I wanted to learn, you know, what private equity was, how it worked. Like I said, I, I invested in it. I didn't know what it was. I just was told, hey, this will yield this kind of return. You know, can you commit to this kind of cash? And yep, let's go. You know, and that was all I knew. But there's a great book out there that's very tailored towards the home services industry, in particular HVAC. But trust me, you read between the lines it'd be perfect for your listeners too. And it's called the private equity playbook. And that is by hmm. Adam coffee. I believe I'm going to um, just Google it real quick while we're, I'll put it in the show. Yeah, notes it's too. a, it's a great book. And he, um, he is a, uh, he's actually a CEO of a large commercial HVAC contractor, uh, HVAC uh, private equity firm. And it's Adam coffee is his name. Hence the title. It's got a lot of football innuendos throughout it, you know, the private equity playbook. But it's a very easy, quick read. It, it talks about the different classes of shares. It, the whole storyline is about two scenarios, one being manager or I'm a, a GM, right? Not an owner with equity. But what does it look like to be part of private equity in that role? And then what's it look like to be like I was as the owner of the company that therefore sells the company to private equity? What does that look like? And it's a quick four or five hour read, but I've read that book at least a dozen times. Perfect. And like anything else, you know, you learn something by getting interested in it, taking the time to find the book. And I think when someone started a plumbing business, electrical, irrigation, landscaping, before they started it, they knew nothing about it, right? You had to get in and learn it. So this is, would be a good start. Get the book and start learning what the opportunities look like. Absolutely. Because they're definitely out there, you know, and I think so many of us, you know, just grind every day and, and rightfully so, because we have that in us to do it. But, and sometimes I remember those days, it felt like there's not a light at the end of the tunnel. I think if you operate your business well, and if you're not now, you can easily write a ship in a couple of years, right? To make something very valuable to somebody else, if that is your exit plan. Yeah. Excellent. Is there anything else that I didn't ask you that I should have asked you that you'd like to share with the listeners? No, no, I, I, I don't. You know, other than, hey, our daughter's volleyball team cracked the top 100 in the nation now. So they're they're pretty solid, right, for 13-year-olds. <laughs> so uh, f for the listeners, Andy's daughter is a very good volleyball setter. She's a great great person to assign a good parenting. So It's worth the two-hour each way drive to practice <laughs> twice a week. <laughs> I know. One of these days, I promise, I will meet up with you, too, when you're, you have a couple hours to kill while she's at practice in Grand Rapids. We will, we will definitely do that. Awesome, Brad. Well, thank you so much and uh, look forward to following along and watching Service Professor continue to grow and maybe learning a little bit more about the private equity space at some point again in the future. Absolutely. Anytime, Andy. Just let me know. You Thanks, bet. man. Take yeah. care. Bye.